This project needs, in my opinion, needs to be run this way. Nice and slow. If it wants to grow a little slower, there was one year we had a good bump during COVID and then it leveled off. We almost had a dead even year. And I, and I always think back and I always look at it. It's like, man, if we had outside investors, they'd be yelling at me. They didn't see the growth they were expecting. Peter, you're a failure. You didn't grow as much between 21 and 22. What are you going to do for next year? We need you to put, put, a, put a report together and let us know what you're going to do to fix that and rectify that. We have investment dollars invested in you, Peter. I don't need that shit. Welcome to The Fort Podcast. I'm Chris Powers, and on this show, I talk to some of the most fascinating minds in business and discuss important topics in the worlds of real estate, entrepreneurship, investing, and more. To learn more, visit thefortpod.com. That's thefortpod.com. Today's sponsor is a company called Relay Human Cloud, which provides staff hosting and services that simplify the process of adding remote overseas workers while removing potential risks. At Fort Capital, we've relied on Relay Human Cloud to help us scale our business. And if you stick around to the end of this episode, you'll learn about an exclusive discount offer specifically for fans of the Fort Podcast. Are you looking for a career in real estate? Fort Capital's purpose is to create a place that attracts the most talented individuals and provide them an environment to be their absolute best. I can honestly say they are successfully achieving their purpose. The team at Fort is unbelievably talented and I would argue the best in the business. They also offer some of the best benefits, including the opportunity to participate in deals, early Fridays, generous PTO, and excellent health benefits. If you're interested in joining the team, visit www.fortcapitallp.com backslash careers. You were in the carpet business, a humbling business, great business, taught you business. How did you become a failed domain investor? So my brother was originally in San Antonio. So he was running in San Antonio. He moved back to Atlanta, opened up an operation. I was wandering around after I got out of college, tried the movie industry and, and didn't go anywhere. And I didn't particularly like it that much and wandered back home. And I was bored all day long. So I just go hang out at, at my brother's you know, carpet business. And so I just started asking him things to do. Like, what can I do? You need any extra help here? <laughs> so I just started working at the carpet place. And so, yeah, mid-90s, I was like, I miss home. I, I don't know. I, was, I don't see myself running a carpet business. My brother had run it for 20 years. I was like, oh, I like doing this. I've learned what a lot of times I look at some of these things I've done of, as, you know, I've this experience gave me exactly what I needed this experience to give me. Now it's time for me to move on. And so I was slowly getting exposed to this thing called the internet. Like, how do you, how do you get online? You double click that, that circle E, you double click that. And then all of a sudden you're online and you're, you're typing words and phrases into a search engine to find things or typing things into the browser bar. And it was just fascinating. I just, I couldn't stop playing around and trying to educate myself on how this thing worked. And then to start paying the bills, I tried out just the advertising industry. So I started working at some little agencies. There were a few here in Atlanta that represented some movie industries. So I, I worked at this agency and they plugged me into the internet at this job. And so I started just playing around on the internet all day long, learning how email works and further learning how browsers worked. And then while I was doing this, my brother threw a couple thousand bucks into a startup in the Atlanta area. And it was just some advertising based web internet startup. And when he mentioned, he mentioned it 
talk about sliding doors in life, mentioned it in passing to me. And when he mentioned it, the light went off for me. And I was like, oh, hang on now. Are you telling me I can get a job? I can get paid by someone to, to, to mess around on the <laughs> internet all day long? Yeah, but into the domain investing, I kept working at these companies. And this dot-com startup did the typical dot-com startup thing, raised tons of money. It was either 35, 25 or 35 million. They wanted to go public. And, you know, the early 2000s, the dot-com boom, a bust happened, excuse me. And all these dot-coms went out under, including us. They laid me off. And this was the third in a, in a series of layoffs. And I kept getting laid off from these companies, either through, you know, company mismanagement or, or government red tape, or it wasn't necessarily put on me. I just kept getting laid off. And I kept this, and it kept stinging me. I didn't like this experience where someone else was dictating my livelihood. And then I was unemployed for a year after that. And so that that really sunk in for me that I need to figure out a way to save myself, that some companies don't have my best interest in, in mind. I need to figure out a way to either be indispensable to a company or just figure out how to do it myself. But I didn't know where to start necessarily. I didn't know how to code. I didn't have a business background, I have a history degree. And even more sub of history, I went to Ole Miss, I have a Southern history degree. So it focused on the South, the rise of the South, the fall of the South, the Civil War, William Faulkner, music, architecture, everything of the South. And so I had to almost just reset and start over to, you know, roughly learn how to code because I wanted to stay online. I love this online thing. Everybody said it was a bust in the early 2000s. Everyone said, okay, finally, this dot-com thing is over this startup web thing, you know, internet's a fad. And now I just refuse to accept it. I was like, I'm just putting all my eggs in this back basket. This web thing is wonderful. It'll, it should come out of this. And so I started just cobbling together like small little exposure and experience from kind of all different avenues of web graphic design, the advertising component, a little bit of coding domain names being one. Like if I wanted to learn how to build a website, what do I do? How do you build a website? Do you hand code it yourself in HTML? Do you use some sort of platform to help you build it? Okay, now I have an idea what to build. How do I get that thing with .com? Where do I go? How does that work? And then I found out about registrars like Network Solutions or GoDaddy. And then you go buy a domain name. So I started building projects. When you say building projects, because I think that's a theme of this episode, what does building a project mean for you? Yeah, so I was trying to figure out ways to monetize or be of service to small businesses. Since I tried to view it from a perspective of serving those small businesses and figuring out a way to serve them through the internet, either by maybe driving them leads, primarily driving them leads to draw, maybe expose their business to potential customers and maybe down the road, sell a product or service. But at the early days, I was trying to drive drive leads to businesses. Uh, one random site that I built in my early days was revolved around the bed and breakfast industry of all things. So I just built a little mini directory. Here are all the bed and breakfast in the United States. And I had it organized by state just to make it easy to navigate. And then just text links. Very, It looked very similar to Craigslist. Just lot, lots of text links. I had an image. I eventually got an image of the United States, which I thought it was real fancy. So I had an image of the United States. You could hover over a state, click on a state, and it would take you to the Texas page or the Georgia page. So I was helping these small little boutique independent bed and breakfast just promote their industry and promote their individual business 
and hopefully drive them leads. And maybe one or two might buy a premium package on the site to help me keep the lights on, which wound up happening. Yep. And did you own bedandbreakfast.com or something? No, no, no. This was kind of before I started treating domains as assets. So I had my domain was planet B and B, letter B, letter N, letter B, planetbnb.com. I don't even own it anymore. So when I started building, I started driving traffic, mainly through SEO or paid search or email marketing. So I started getting an understanding of how to drive traffic to the site and then converting that traffic into leads for my third parties. But then the process wasn't moving fast enough for me. I wanted that site to move a little quicker for me. And as I kept viewing sites online, I'd keep running across you know, other websites that seemed like another mom and pop person built it that seemed under monetized. And so the, the thought bubbled up into my head, hey, what's stopping me? And this was early 2000s. What's stopping me from going directly to that person, just offering them money and buying their website from them? This is way, this is a good bit before, or pretty much before any of these. Uh, there's Empire Flippers, there's Acquire.com, BizBuySell even at times will sell website properties online. So I started just cold calling and reaching out to people. Hey, are you interested in selling your site? I'd throw a reasonable amount just to make them aware that I was not a tire kicker, I'd throw an offer of maybe 2,000 to 5,000 bucks, $10,000 offer. I was confident. So the way I really did in the early days, I'd go search for like a high search volume term. Like I love travel and tourism. So one of the early ones, I, I didn't purchase this one, but I advertised on this site, but I'd search high search volume terms. One example was I just searched Cancun. I've never even been to Cancun, but I knew there was a lot of search volume for Cancun. And so I found this site in organic search in Google and it was, it was ranked number two or three. And so I knew they were getting a substantial amount of traffic. So I would contact those types of sites. Hey, saw your site online. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, continuing to build out a traffic related site for Cancun. It'd be easy for me to fly to from Atlanta if I needed to go down and visit to make partnerships with maybe taxi companies, hotels, resorts, restaurants, real estate folks. So I started buying websites at that point. I'd use some money that I'd saved up. At this time, I was still working nine to five at some web companies. So I'd work at a web company. Auto Trader is a company I worked for in the Atlanta area. I'd work at Auto Trader, come home, do some coding, educate myself, and then just try to buy websites as well at the same time. But when I kept buying these websites, Everything always just would filter down to the domain name. I'd acquire a site and I knew immediately, okay, the first thing I need to do, I need your domain name. Because if I own the domain name, I own everything. Because even if they give me the domain and they balk and don't give me the, give me the content, I can screen scrape the content and get everything in-house. But if I have the domain, I have everything. So I'd always concentrate on the domain. And I kept doing that over and over again. And so I kept really looking at the domains like these are really interesting assets. You know, I'm buying most of the domains I was buying back in those days were, were just regular, like a Planet BNB domain. And so the, the thought bubbled up, another thought bubbled up in my head. I was like, well, what if I own, to your point, what if I own bedandbreakfast.com? That'd be pretty awesome. What if I owned water.com? What if I owned glasses.com? like a really like category killer, but I'd missed my window. A lot of those domains you could have hand registered, you know, back in the early mid nineties, most at that point were owned by some of the legacy domainers that still own them. There's a guy named Adam Strong. There's a guy named Rick Schwartz. 
There's some guys call it a Digimedia that own a, a wonderful portfolio. They were watermelon farmers of all things in Oklahoma. And they went into the domain name industry similar, but I started the other way around. But they have a wonderful portfolio. But then I stumbled into the expiration market where if someone doesn't renew a domain name, it goes back to the registrar and the registrar typically puts it up for auction before they release it for regular registration. And every day, roughly 50 to 100,000 domain names expire. And they release those for analysis, essentially, for folks like me. And so they'll release this list that you can scrape, scrape, organize, poke, run analysis. And once I started getting exposure to this expiration market, I would say back in those days, and even still to this day, like every year, some gorilla.com would expire and go up for auction. Somebody would just abandon it. And it would go up for auction. It would sell for 20, 30, 50, 100,000, all.com. And then I started kind of looking at this from an asset, almost like a separate asset class. I was like, okay, what if I, I just sit and wait and wait for a really good domain that sort of fits my inner nature, that I love travel and tourism. I like serving small businesses. So I started waiting and just monitoring the list every single day. And did that real quick on that list, does that list something you sign up for and it just emails you every day the list? How would a common folk that knows nothing about this get a hold of this list? Yeah, so they publish it. It's freely available. There's a good place to download it. There's a site called Namejet, N-A-M-E-J-E-T. There's another one called Snap Names. Drop Catch is another drop catching service for domains that expire. And they openly share all of their drop list, you know, for the uh, for 30 days into the future. Yeah. And just analyze them. You can analyze them based on dictionary terms, how old they are. Do they have specific terms that might be easy for from an advertising and marketing standpoint? Would it be easy for someone to remember the name if they heard it once? Would it be easy for them to remember? You'd be amazed, Chris, there's a certain percentage of the population, they'll bypass Google, they'll go up into the address bar into their uh, on their computer and type what they're looking for and add.com. I want some water, water.com. They'll just type in and it converts extremely well. And a lot of the legacy domainers are always talking about this. I'd, I had never experienced it prior to acquiring a few of my own domains that had this existing traffic uh, uh, trickling in every single day. And it was a wonderful tailwind to help me get some of these projects off the ground. As I was waiting for this, a domain called duderanch.com popped up. And this was in 2009. And I was familiar with the industry. It's a good ticket price for like a family of four. It cost about 10,000 bucks for a vacation. So I roughly assumed that Dude Ranch is going to get 30%, 30%, yeah, 30% margins roughly on that 10,000 bucks. So there, I would assume there was a healthy enough margin in there. All the dude ranchers actively advertised. So I, once I recognized that they understood the value of advertising, like a directory model seemed to, to work similar to how I built it for Planet BNB. If you're like me, you like to wake up and get your daily dose of reading. Uh, for me, a lot of that has to do with commercial real estate because of the industry that we're in at Fort Capital. 
And the news is important, but if you're a busy real estate professional like me, you don't have time to skim through the dozens of dry and ad-filled media outlets each day. That's why I read CRE Daily, a free email newsletter that cuts through the clutter and delivers concise, witty commentary on the latest trends and transactions in commercial real estate. I discovered CRE Daily a few months ago, and it's an email I actually look forward to getting each morning. If you're a real estate professional, you owe it to yourself to try it out and stay on top of what's happening in the industry in only five minutes. To give their free daily newsletter a try, visit CREdaily.com. That's CREdaily.com. Let's carry on with that, but I think this is a good point to say, and this is something that I really want to know, when you're evaluating a domain name and and just your process, maybe other people do it, but if I was looking at duderanch.com, I'd have no idea how to create a value. In your mind, how do you reach this is what this thing is worth in your head? I look, so a lot of the search engines, I do lean on search engines a lot because I like search because it's so intent based. And so I could see that for Dude Ranch, I could go into the search engines. They share search volume for specific terms. So I could see folks were looking for Dude Ranch vacation, Dude Ranch vacation in Colorado, Dude Ranch vacation for children or Dude Ranch vacation with a pool, all this long tail search terms. Then I could see a search volume. 10,000 searches a month, 5,000 searches a month. So I could say, okay, if it's 10,000 searches a month with a 1% conversion rate, I could drive a lot of leads and then I would be of value to these small businesses. And I could charge the dude ranch a thousand bucks a year, 2000 bucks a year to be listed on my site from that directory style model. And then I could just be the middleman and operate as a solo operation. If I need employees, I could consider employees, but run it as a solo operation. But using search, the, the search volume and search terms, almost like you probably look at this, Chris. Do you look at like how many cars pass by some of your properties every day? Does that, is that a value to you? Yeah. For some of our properties, traffic count is huge. Yeah. So it's very, very similar. That's what I'm always fascinated by following you on Twitter and all your, you know, the real estate folks on Twitter, because online game is very, very, very similar. It's just real uh, estate you know, online, basically. It's real you're, estate you're, online. Our traffic is either search, type-in traffic, and the .com is the physical location. Are you in Times Square in New York? Because anything you physically open. So it's a lot of times with these, these wonderful blue chip domains, it's, it's almost as if, you know, this tiny little shop in downtown, not downtown, and, and dead center Times Square goes under and they auction the little thing off and no one knows it's at auction and you have an opportunity to buy it at below wholesale prices. And from a development standpoint, I was able to justify a higher bid price because I typically bid against other domain name investors who simply want to buy at this sub wholesale price and they just simply want to flip it for two or three X versus me. When I came in, I realized, yeah, I'd have to drop 10, 20, 50,000 bucks on a domain name, but I could justify the price because I was somewhat confident I could recoup that cost if I built the site out, drove leads, and then convinced you know, dude ranchers in this specific case to sign on. But that turns into sales, which I'm not an expert at, but it's, it makes it a little bit easier when you have this machete of a domain name, you can go in and they immediately assume you're you have some level of authority just simply because you have this wonderful .com domain name. The more I kept looking and studying these lists, 
I could run these little mini business models in my head when they would go up for auction. I was like, okay, uh, like Vidalia onions. I looked at, I didn't even intend to buy it, accidentally purchased it. How did you accidentally um, purchase it? You know, I typically try to build like, inf- I guess you can call them informational sites. Say, I, I want to share information and drive leads or make transactions. I mean, Vidalia is the opposite flips. Physical product, you know, a perishable seasonal vegetable that, you know, the domain happened to, and I thought the domain was going to sell for like 5,000 bucks. And so the auction was around two, 2,000, 2,200 bucks. And so I threw in, I think 2,200 is what I bought it for. So I threw in the offer at 2,200 and this is all online. Uh, just, just clicking buttons and adding numbers. And then it was crickets and no one else bid. And then I won the domain and I didn't quite have the cash. I had some cash, but I was like, man, that's just another 2,200. I was like, how in the world am I going to sell this? Do I flip it? Like I'm in Atlanta. How do I sell Vidalia? I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do with this thing. So I just put it in my portfolio and kept focusing on Dude Ranch. And But it's, it's one of the few that kept needling me. I was like, man, this is a big industry. I was like, this is, I didn't, I understood it was a boutique onion. I didn't quite understand the association that, folks had to this onion, especially in Georgia and the South, especially Texas, Texas, California, Georgia, and Texas folks are crazy. I mean, you guys have your own. You have that 1015 onion out there, which is a good, sweet onion. But man, they're onion boutique connoisseurs that do not mess around. (laughs) They get excited. They're already emailing me. It's February. And I got an email yesterday. When are the onions going to be ready? Are they ready? You shiving them yet? It's like, no, they're still on the ground. We'll start harvesting early April. We'll probably be shipping late and we'll let me know. Sign up for our, I have a priority email notification list. How did you get from buying a domain name to now people are buying onions? Did you buy a farm? Did you partner with a farmer? How does this work? Yeah. So I partnered. So that, that domain kept needling at me. Just whispering at you at night, just saying, build me. It's sort of, it was just sitting there in my account and I was like, I know I keep reading about it. So it, it gets a lot of publicity when the season starts in the state of Georgia, at least. But in my head, I was like, oh, this is only a Georgia thing. Nobody's talking about this. Nobody really. I, I assume no one really cares about this onion outside of maybe Georgia, maybe the South. And no one even talks about it, say, in, in Nevada or California. But I was like, well, what do I know? I don't know anything. Let me. And while I was fortunate, I was living in Atlanta at the time. Vidalia is about a three hour drive away. Uh, cold called the. They have a committee that represents all the Vidalia farmers called the Vidalia Onion Committee. So I cold called them and said, "Hey, I'm driving down. I'm passing through. I happen to be the o- owner of of this domain name, but VidaliaOnions.com, and trying to just make sure to let them know I'm one of the good guys. I, I'm not. I don't intend to use this domain for nefarious ways. Could I come? I want to try to s- see if there are ways." if I could serve this industry through, through this domain. And in my head, it was mail order, you know, it was farm to door essentially. And they were very welcoming, very open. I've had other other industries that have were not as open and welcoming. They welcomed me with open arms. So I, dry, I, I just popped in and went to their offices and hung out with the executive director and just told them my background. I'm a web guy. I know how to build these little properties. And, you know, drive some business from time to time. And I was trying to ping them. Like, where do you guys see weaknesses in the Vidalia industry? And their first answer across the board was mail order, mail order. But we don't have enough people helping with mail order. Our farmers are used to sending out, 
you know, the 50,000 pound load, the 100,000 pound load, but we consistently have customers reaching out that they want to order a five pound box or a 10 pound box. I wasn't sure whether they were trying to butter me up just to build this, but I was like, because I was like, okay, you just happen to be saying the exact same that I'm thinking of what to potentially build on this. But I was like, I'm, I'm willing to keep investigating this to see where it could go. And so in my head, I was like, okay, if I build this, I have to have an exceptional Vidalia. If I do all this hard work to build the site, to attract the traffic, get people to sign up, and then I ship a subpar Vidalia, I'm dead. And this whole thing is dead in the water. So I let them know, and we're fortunate, we have a lot of just really talented Vidalia farmers down in that Vidalia region. So they just said, hey, we'll just go, we'll start driving you around to the farm. So like for, I drove down a secondary time and we just started driving around to all the Vidalia farms and I'd, we'd just meet them, just chit-chatting. So we'd walk in, hey, I'm Peter. And they'd introduce me because I needed that introduction. I couldn't just be some Joe off the street walking in. And so they'd introduce me and see if it was a fit. Do they have storage? Could they fulfill for me? Because at one point I was like, do I, sh do I ship these onions up to Atlanta? I was living in a condo at the time. I was like, I don't, I don't know where I'd put them. I can't store them in my condo. I was like, that's stupid. I can't do that. I have to be able to have this fulfillment feature at the farm. And two, I wanted that. I wanted to be able to say, we pack and ship these out of our pack and shed in Vidalia. And they go directly from farm to door. And so we kept meeting farmers. And then at the end of one day, I ended up going to, at the time it was called M&T, and they've since changed their name to A&M, but went to M&T and met Aries Haygood. He and I hit it off and he was wide open. We just essentially at the beginning, just did a handshake. He just said, sure, let's do it. You send in the orders. He had a fulfillment. He had boxes. He had head count. And he even had storage, which I didn't even take into consideration when I started this project. So we just started. He and I were just spitballing numbers of just trying to see, okay, how do we know if this is just dead in the water when we build this out? And so Aries and I were talking. I was like, what do we consider just a rough success of this thing? And we were like, hey, if we get maybe 20, 25 orders, that's pretty good from maybe some brand new place that no one has ever, ever ordered from before. And then so we launched it and I launched the site. Yeah, so the first season we had 600 orders out of the blue for the first season. And Aries and I were like, what in the world is happening here? How does this, what? And how big is the business now? I think the first season, 600 boxes, I think it was 12,000 pounds. But then it, it does, it just, it is incrementally growing at a nice steady pace without any outside funding. It's me and Aries. And we simply just kind of focus on really slow growth. A lot of folks, you know, could say, oh, you could take outside funding or X, Y, Z. I was like, yeah, yes, I could pour gasoline on this thing and grow it quite fast. But like, I don't, I don't, I'm not in a hurry. Like, I'm perfectly fine. This uh, is know, a perfect this. question then, because most people in today's world are in a huge hurry. Almost unequivocally. That is the the strategy. Why? Have you said, I'm not in a hurry? Is it the part of life that you're in? Is it just your style? When, when you think of why you're not wanting to grow quicker, what's driving that decision? It's probably due to the fact that I've been laid off so many times. I knew if I took outside investment, I'd have somebody else telling me what to do and how to run this business. And then from my perspective, my customers should be the only ones telling me really what to do. And I can take and or leave what I want from my customers. And to your point, the whole lifestyle thing. I like my lifestyle. 
I don't need, I got enough, you know, the whole fuck you money thing. I like running these. This project needs, in my opinion, needs to be run this way. Nice and slow. If it wants to grow a little slower, there was one year we had a good bump during COVID and then it leveled off. We almost had a dead even year. And I, and I always think back and I always look at it. It's like, man, if we had outside investors, they'd be yelling at me. They didn't see the growth they were expecting. Peter, you're a failure. You didn't grow as much between 21 and 22. What are you going to do for next year? We need you to put, put, a, put a report together and let us know what you're going to do to fix that and rectify that. We have investment dollars invested in you, Peter. I don't need that shit. What is the domain industry like? You, you mentioned people earlier that have wonderful portfolios that have been in it really early. It's such a niche. It's a big industry because we all know domains. But as far as the players in it, how do you all communicate with each other? How do you know what's going on and what's worth? And what does a wonderful portfolio even mean? What does that look like? They own just the most obvious name, .com. And is .com still king? Sorry, I asked you like 20 questions there. But no, uh, yeah, dot com is still king. I don't see an instance where it won't be king, only due to the fact it's been branded and marketed, you know, since 1995, and the amount of money spent on all forms of marketing to educate the general public. It's hard to educate them that .co is an alternative or .info or even .net. Even when I got into it early, .net was always laughing. So if you had .net, everybody knew you were the redhead stepchild. You had this subpar and you didn't get the .com. Or .org, boo. Or .org, yeah. I, I've had a few .orgs, but I don't mind. So I've asked you .org. I can't get <laughs> ask you .com. So I'm, from an investment standpoint, I would invest in .org before I'd invest in .net. But it always comes .com first. And then the other interesting aspect, it's always generic. You always want the generic term. Anytime you play around with trademark terms or loose trademarks, you open yourself up to lawsuits or they have this, this initial, I guess you could call it an acronym. It's the UDRP and it's UDRP and it's the Uniform Dispute Resolution Policy. And it's a simple, essentially it's an arbitration, I guess, case you can call it. So it, it, somebody could hit a, a UDRP on you if you're using CocaColaSucks.com or some sort of trademark term. So from a domainer's perspective, our focus, and even for me, from a development standpoint, you want to focus on generic terms because they are, for the most part, almost universally, they're defendable because no one can own the name uh, water.com or even phone.com. Any of these good generic terms are very, are very descriptive and very valuable. But from how we kind of hang out online, it's similar to you guys. We hang out, a lot of them are on Twitter. There's a conference there have been several over the years. The big one these days is called NamesCon, and typically it's in Austin, Texas. GoDaddy has a big office in Austin, so they typically have parties up in their office. That's where they typically do education seminars. We'll talk about what folks are doing, how they're developing, how to buy low, sell high from an investment standpoint. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you about that. on the In real estate or in investing or in business, there's a way to kind of see who are the best players. You can look at their returns. You can look at their portfolios. If you had to describe like today, what makes an amazing domain investor? And the answer can't be, well, they bought pets.com in 1990 and held onto it forever. 
Like if if you're looking at the players today, what separates the great domain investors from the not so great domain investors? There's a great legacy domain investor named Rick Schwartz, and he is his background is in sales. And his original job was a furniture salesman. There are a lot of good misfits in this industry, which I do like. Rick Schwartz is a good example of not accepting anything lower than the pinnacle price for some of his domains. So he is renowned for selling domains for, you know, in the millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And oftentimes people will reach out with solid, you know, six-figure offers and they'll tell him to pound sand. And he's very vocal. He's very, he's a big believer in the dot-com world, but he's got the chops to prove it. So he bought a lot of his domains back in the day, but he's still, he's still an active buyer. He's still buying from end users, buying from folks, maybe posting a domain for sale on Twitter or within the auction houses. And at our conferences, we have a live domain name auction. People will put domain names up for auction. And so there'll be a live auction at the domain name conferences where you can just physically bid on dot-com domains with people in the room or anybody on the phone. But it's, as simplistic as it is, it is simply who is selling domains for top value. And then cherry on top is if they sell it to an interesting company. If I own nuts.com or vidaliaonions.com, can I just license it to the actual Vidalia Onions business and they just pay me a fee every year to use my domain, but they build the business and they operate it. They're just paying to use the domain. Oh, yeah, you can. Rick Schwartz, and I'll refer back to Rick. He used to own candy.com. Oh, <laughs> another oh. great one. But for a good five years he licensed the domain. And I think, I believe he was taking a cut of the profit for them. So he allowed them, they put some money down to use the domain and they pay him a monthly fee. And he took a cut of the profits and they were simply selling candy online. They ran it for a few years. Then they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And the domain went back to Rick. But some folks do. When you have a really valuable domain, you have the ability to license it. Some companies like escrow.com, you can set up like a payment platform and they'll pay you this monthly fee and it's managed by this third-party escrow company. So you can stay out of the, you know, collecting the payments and, you know, hassling them if they aren't paying. Because if they don't pay, escrow will start pinging them saying, hey, you haven't paid your monthly payment. If you don't, you're in default of your contract and the domain is going to go back to the original owner. So you can just sit back and it's truly mailbox money. Some of these folks with really good domain name assets, especially like Rick, who understands the value of these domains and refuses to accept anything less than what the domain name is worth. But outside of the folks that bought in the early 90s, and there were folks that came through when I came through in the early 2000s, mid 2000, 2005, and around that rough time, we're simply building up portfolios of like B to B plus names. And they would either drive traffic and they could either sell the domains, monetize the existing traffic, whether it's through links or type in traffic. And there was one guy, Michael Birkins, who was the lawyer that I referred to, built up a big portfolio and sold it for a few million bucks. It may have been 20 million bucks. He had 70,000 domain names in his portfolio which is amazing. You think roughly 10, 15 bucks renewal price on every single domain every single year. Yeah. I think 
the number I want to say I remember hearing was either 20 million, 30 million. I believe he sold it for rough around there. They published the price at some point. And do somebody all, went through do all the sites charge the same renewal fee every year? It's all kind of industry standard, 15 bucks. Yeah, roughly. Uh some folks may charge 30 bucks, like network solutions, I think charges 30 bucks. You can buy them through Cloudflare now for almost the same price that they get them from like the registry, which is like 10 bucks. GoDaddy is around 15 to 20 bucks per year. This is for .com, so it's different per top level domain. Some may be cheaper. Some of these new TLDs, they call them TLDs for top level domain. Some of them are a little bit less expensive. Some may have a you know first year for a buck. And then the following year, maybe another 10 bucks for the renewal of the domain name. For the .NETs, they just laugh at you and, and wonder why you're renewing because it's a .NET. <laughs> it's a huge registry. And it's, you know, I get spoiled on .com stuff, but you know, I'll, at the end of the day, you can build any domain project on any domain name. You're going to have to, but I, what I wanted to do was skip that education process. I didn't want to have to educate my folks that my, I am on .NET, and I, but I'm not on .com and have that leakage happen and have to hammer my customers that, hey, don't forget, I'm on .NET. I'm not on .com. I wanted to skip that branding aspect. And number two, I realized that I could compete with these companies that were 10, you know, 100 times my size if I just simply had the .com domain name. Is there ever any, can you hack a domain name? Can, can, do, can people steal domain names or is it pretty secure? It does happen time to time. It's a great question. If it's sort of like uh, any type of service you use online, if you have weak passwords and you don't have any type of, I don't want to say backup, but a lot of the domain registrars allow you to have two-factor authentication, so that's always worthwhile. GoDaddy has another layer of protection. I forget the name of it, but where it physically requires, I think, maybe assigning a piece of paper or maybe calling someone physically to approve of a domain name transfer. It does happen, though, where they somebody will get access into someone's account, pull the domain names out, and quickly try to sell them on the market at a very at a substantial you know, haircut price to get interest, sell them, take the cash, probably in Bitcoin, and then bolt. It's quite rare these days. They found two recently, just within the past month, they realized they were stolen. I believe there's a domain name lawyer. So they have domain, they have lawyers that specialize just in the domain name field. And he helped, I believe it was John Berryhill, who helped this domain name owner recoup the, the lost. And they may have been two letter, I think one, Two-letter domains are simply valuable because of the scarcity of two-letter domain names. And he allowed them, or he helped and the and helping grab those domain names back and put them back into his portfolio. But yeah, you can have them stolen out of your account, yes. But so you try to put as many barriers online account to make it as, as difficult as possible. Have you thought far enough out how AI or Web3 or anything disrupts what you're doing? Not really. There are some domain names that are trying to, these blockchain domain names. Yeah, I ETH. don't know. A, yeah, ETH, where you have this decentralized registry. It's fascinating sandbox to watch from the, you know, from the sideline. It's not my specialty. I'm paying attention to it. But what tends to be my bread and butter is buying dot coms and building products and services for the general public. 
And I know the general public is already comfortable with .com. It'd be challenging for me to educate them on the value or even that .eth exists. And then they could type it into their browser. To my knowledge, you can't use .eth or some of these blockchain domains within a browser yet. They may figure out a way to at some point. But there are folks that are buying and selling them. The domain world is active in that world. It's always active in .com and any other TLDs in .co, .io. There are resale where people are trying to buy those at low and then sell them at a, at a higher price and hopefully operate at a profit based on the renewal costs. They're always looking at their renewal costs and then how much are they selling out of their portfolio every year? Do they need to add new domains if they have a potential sale? And then are there is their head above water at the end of every year with, with renewal cost in mind? Maybe what's the most valuable domain name in the industry that maybe just sits in someone's account and has never really been used? Or is there a domain or domains that's like the one or that everybody talks about or can't figure out something that's interesting there? I mean, sex.com has changed hands <laughs> multiple times. It even got stolen a few times. That's probably if anybody goes and asks about the most valuable domain, chances Who owns are- it? I can't, you know, honestly, I don't even know. I think Rick Schwartz may have owned it at one point. Oh, wow. I'm not even aware. It's changed hands several times. Not even aware of the current owner of it. What do you think um, it's worth? Oh, gosh. I mean, multiple million. It would at least be 10, 20, possibly 50 million. I would not blink if it sold for five to 10 million. I would say, yeah, that's worth every penny of it. I always think of it in comparison to like Super Bowl ads. I mean, you have... 30 seconds. What does a Super Bowl ad cost this year? Is it five or 10 million? I don't even know. It's pretty expensive. Should find that. So you could own this asset in perpetuity or have a 30 second ad during the Super Bowl. A lot of times I would just say, man, I'd rather have this domain name because I know how much type in traffic some of these good. You're going to get this endless stream of traffic coming to your site looking for products and services that match the description of the dot com that you have. Versus this brief moment in time, you're going to have this ad in the Super Bowl, get a lot of exposure, a lot of signups, but it's limited in time versus owning this asset that you can eventually resell probably at a profit. Yeah. If you own a domain name, but you haven't actually put up a web page, this might be a dumb question. But let's just say you own sex.com, but when you type it in, it just says like, this is owned by GoDaddy or whatever that message is they give you if they haven't actually built the site. Is there any other way to monetize it if you haven't done anything with it? Or do you have to have at least put something on there to drive traffic? And Yeah, you don't. The crazy thing, it's it's almost identical to like your industry, the real world, you know, real estate. So you can buy a piece of dirt somewhere. Now, if you just want to sit on that dirt, not even do anything, maybe you plant some trees if you want to plant trees. Are you on a a busy freeway. Maybe you could get some permits and put up a billboard and make some money off of advertising off the billboard. Maybe you build a structure on the piece of property. So domain names are simple. You don't have to put anything on it. You can have it resolve nowhere. Or a lot of these pages you may recognize they have text link advertising. So a lot of domain portfolio owners, that's how they make their money and pay the renewal cost every year. And it's a feed from uh, from uh, Google from Google AdWords, they call it Google Ads now. Uh, so they plug into that advertising channel and they earn on a click basis. If they get a click, if the advertiser has bid a dollar on that specific industry, Google typically takes 70%. 
No, excuse me. They'll take 30% and the publisher will get about 70%. So each click, they're making 70 cents on related text links to that industry. So a lot of times you may recognize just text links on the page. If someone clicks... And typically, they've I've read studies that it's quite a sticky and a good converting type of traffic. I see it on my ranch job board on ranch work. I bought the domain ranchjobs.com because I, I kept hearing my ranchers refer to my site as ranch jobs instead of ranch work. And I knew it was a pain point I needed to address. And I eventually acquired it right when COVID dropped. It was March or April. And... The owner had previously quoted me 20,000 bucks for it. I didn't want to spend that much. And I caught it. I caught him in a moment of time where no one knew what the financial markets were going to do. And I had five grand liquid. And so I, I went through a third party broker, acquired ranchjobs.com for five grand, and then started redirecting it with a tracking. You know, this, they have this tracking pixel, these UTM, these parameters you can add onto URLs to track traffic from specific sources. And so I started tracking this domain and the dang thing throws me 500 to 1,000 visits every single month. It's one of my best performing advertising channels and I own it in perpetuity. And number three, I get to take a chess piece off the board because I'm sure folks see when I'm publishing online and Twitter, especially from what I'm doing in the ranching world. And the easiest way for someone to come in as competition would have been to buy ranchjobs.com and come in and compete with me. So I took that chess piece off and then and then started tracking how much traffic that domain of men alive is people looking for ranch jobs going up and it's not even folks that are familiar with ranch work they just do the typical path they want a ranch job they go up browser bar ranchjobsad.com enter and i have the stats in my little statistics page it's just crazy how much traffic it drives but yeah similar kind of path that tees up the last question so your top tweet was on, you kind of gave a how-to guide on building a job board. And then we just talked about ranch jobs. And so I kind of want to bring home and rehash that tweet. If somebody's listening to this or they're thinking, maybe I could create a ranch job, let's bring it home with like your, how you would do it if you wanted to build a job board for an industry and, and start from scratch. Yeah. The way I tend to structure and build domain names tends to be the industry First, plus the term jobs, and then .com. An example domain I used to own down uh, in years ago was library jobs, and I've sold it. I bought it for a grand. I think I sold it for five grand. Any type of industry that follows that format, I find, number one, has type-in traffic. If it's very simple to type, library jobs fit the bill for me. A nice kind of niche industry, high salary sort of fragmented in the industry, no single player building out in the industry. I also have a job board I'm running with a friend, SEO jobs for the SEO industry. So the similar SEO plus jobs ad.com. And I'd find you can go to marketplaces and search. You don't really have to wait. I love looking through expiry names, but to speed up the process, you could go through domain marketplaces where folks, current owners just place domains for sale. Dan.com is a good one. D-A-N.com. Cedo, S-E-D-O.com. GoDaddy Auctions, it's called auctions, but they have domains for sale within GoDaddy. So you can go to GoDaddy Auctions. And I think there, there's a checkbox somewhere where you can just search buy, buy, sell, or buy now domains, and it'll have listed prices. 
So you could acquire a domain, maybe between one and 5,000 bucks, or maybe you find one that's around 500. Buy the domain first. You could lean on WordPress is a great content management system that has a lot of job board themes that are built out there. So you don't even necessarily have to know how to code. You could add WordPress to a, a host. They, a lot of them have one-click installation of WordPress, buy a roughly $70 job board theme, and you could tweak it to fit your industry. Let's just use library as an example. You could buy some, or heck, you could use some of this new AI photography. You could go tell it to create an image of library books at a library. Use that as your header. And then you could start seeding jobs from any university. I'll use the library example again. Find current jobs that are being posted on university websites for librarians or anyone working in a library and start seeding those listings. Try to start working with universities, maybe get some inbound links. Encourage folks to sign up for your email list so you could send emails out every Monday if they don't want to visit your site every week. And then cross your fingers that some slowly, some organic traffic from search starts coming in. You could get some traffic from your email list. You could go the social route and drive some traffic that way as well. And then you'll have type in traffic as well. It's a good wide spectrum of traffic. So you aren't entirely relying on one channel. So if one channel goes away, you can still rely on a couple other spokes in the wheel until you fix one aspect that may have gone awry. And then add analytics. You could add Plausible is one that I use. Clicky is another analytics tool where you can track traffic, figure out where it's coming from. Are they purchasing job listings on your site? Uh, and then you can plug into Stripe or even PayPal to process the transaction. And they'll process the transaction and then they'll just deposit money into your bank account on a rolling seven-day, I guess Stripe does that, on a rolling seven-day basis. That's a condensed version of that tweet that I went through. And overserve them. I dote from SEO and ranch work. I just dote on them. If they need an extra couple days, if they got a lot of applications, but they hadn't found the right person, just extend it for two weeks. Who cares? I need them to fill this job because I know if they do and they're happy with me, they're going to come back. And you can see, I sometimes share some of the revenue and it's nothing you know to call home about, but it's a good Great side project revenue for me that allows me to focus on it, downshift into Vidalia in season, and even tinker around. I always enjoy tinkering around on other projects. Man, man, I'm a I'm a big believer in job boards, and I'll probably continue to build job boards. It's why I built SEO jobs. I knew I needed a, and this is the case where I did partner with someone. I bought SEO jobs for 15 grand from an end user. They had it for sale, but I came from, you know, SEO paid search. I liked that it was a hyper boutique industry. And we're just about a year in. So I now found I admired this one SEO guy named Nick Leroy. He lives up in Minnesota. I always admired his building style, his personality. And he and I followed each other on Twitter. And it was all of me. I think I DM'd him, Chris. And I said, hey, I noticed you have a few other projects running. He has a similar background to me. He got laid off and got treated like shit from other people. <laughs> so he and I were like, dude, hey, we both got laid off. We got both got treated like shit. And like, hey, we might have a lot in common here. Do you have any interest in maybe playing around on a job board? It won't take up all your day. Like, dude, we just, you and I curate these things. We have, you're the expert. I have some SEO knowledge, but he is like super expert. And, and he has a great following in the industry. 
So he and I agreed and he and I are just kind of babying that thing and waiting. Sometimes it takes two or three years for these things to, to take off. So it's just taking that time. Yeah, and to your point that we talked about, you know, at the beginning of the call, not being in a hurry. It's going to take, you know, that little bird is going to be in that nest. At some point, I'm going to have to push that dang thing out of the nest and it's going to have to learn how to fly. Like my call tracking one, I try to get the thing to fly. It wouldn't. Then I had to abandon it. The thing's not going to work. But at some point, I'm going to have to push that thing out and it needs to start performing. But ranch, uh, excuse me, SEO jobs is already generating revenue. I think we have a couple grand in revenue already within the first year. And we've already driven some leads and filled some jobs, gotten some quotes and testimonials from, from companies. So we're just slowly building. That's what it takes on some of these jobs, just a slow build to serve a, a specific industry. So that one has been a, a blessing as well. I'm a big believer in these job boards from a small team aspect. If you want to compete with big, big companies like Indies or Simply Hireds or Monster, it's a wonderful little industry where you don't have to box anything up and ship anything out. I have my one product that I will box up and ship out in this onions. Uh, Vidalia or Peru, I may ship out some Peru potentially at some point. That's my one because a lot of other you know armchair quarterbacks always like, Peter, oh, you should start shipping George McCons. Why not? It's so easy. Like, I was like, I ship one thing. I don't need to get into it. I ship one thing and that's all my brain can handle. And so I was like, I like focusing on one little thing. And it gives me plenty. I'm, I get to hang out at the farm during our shipping season. And when shipping's over, we take about a month off and we start planting again. So the process starts again. So I get to hang out at the farm where we're planting the seeds watching as the seasons go. We get hit with a cold front. We had a cold front right around Christmas time this year that hit about 20% of the crop or, you know, hail may come through, but trying to figure out how can I serve those farmers? Cause they don't want to do this tech stuff. And so I come in as I can essentially say, I'll do all your tech stuff. If I can't do it, I'll find somebody else that can help us. You guys just focus on growing the great Vidalia. And then I'll focus on all this web stuff. You don't even have to touch any of it. I bet there's a lot of industries out there that need that. I think there is. And I wish some of these, the tech folks would, would stop, you know, chasing the, you know, bright, shiny objects, whether it's, you know, new AI languages and just simply just shift and go to these, you know, like Nick says, chase these, they call them boring industries, but man, there's so much opportunity in these boring and in farming. Oh my gosh. Imagine going out and trying to help a strawberry farmer or a peach farmer either sell their products, build a site for them, drive more business their way. or And I was fortunate to find that with the Vidalia industry. I was like, I don't need, I already hit lightning at once on this one. I found the great farmer, I found, stumbled into a really amazing industry. And the, the likelihood of me finding this in another industry is so low. It's like, I don't want to find one. And these, <laughs> these folks have adopted me into their industry. You're um, the godfather now. Uh, no, like my farmers, the godfather, those folks, those farmers, they're doing all the hard work. I'm leaning, I'm standing on their shoulders, you know, selling the onions, they're growing. But it's so fun to be associated with the industry and and talk to our customers because I get I get the enthusiasm from them. You know, when the season's getting close, they they start, I mean, it's crazy. It's like not to compare it to Christmas morning. They get as excited as Christmas morning when the Chris, when the season is about to start. They start and they've sending me pictures or new recipes that they're trying, or and I hear it because I do all customer support on the phone. So I talk to them all <laughs> throughout the season. But it's a, a very I'm quite fortunate to be have stumbled into that industry and 
for them to have adopted me in, honestly, because I've tried other industries where I kind of got strong pushback. I tried to go into the land surveying industry and they just didn't, and not to knock land surveyors, and it's probably the product that I built for them, but the Vidalia folks, you know, well, almost pulled me in when I had this domain. They're like, yes, 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 mail order. We need this help. Yes. How can you, uh, we'll start introducing you to farmers. I'm like, sweet, let's start driving around. I'll start talking to folks. If you help introduce me, yeah, that helps. That helps a lot when they're kind of, when they're, they're just as eager as you are. Peter, I think that's a great way to bring this one home. I, I really appreciate today. This was this was hilarious, interesting. It's something I know nothing about, but it definitely piques my interest. You found a cool little corner of the world. I enjoy following you guys online. It's such a fun water cooler on Twitter because I learn from you guys because I don't know anything about that real estate world. Or, you know, I know Nick does the self-storage stuff or or the, uh, what are the, call it STR. What does STR stand for? The short-term uh, rental short-term rental industry, which is fascinating, which I don't know. I'm in Savannah now, so I know this is a huge part of this this industry down here, these short-term rentals. So it's selfish for me because I'm learning just as much from you guys, but I appreciate you even just you know considering bringing me on here to talk about it. the domain name industry. I'll never forget our night at the bar at Capital Camp. We had a great time that night. That was that was fun. Yeah. Was you guys were nice enough to even let me tag along. Oh my gosh. I was there solo. I didn't know what I was doing. And you guys were nice enough to let me tag along. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Jason, as we sat back years ago and were envisioning where Fort was going to go, we realized we needed to bring in a global workforce, a remote workforce that could work with us. And a few of the reasons why were obviously cost, which I think is the first thing that comes to everybody's mind. But then when we talk about shifts, a 24-hour shift, and maybe you can go a little further there, and some of the other benefits that we've realized as we've gone on, and now we sit here today in 2022, at the time we first had this was maybe 10 employees, now we're at 46. Mm -hmm. And as you think about the next chapter and how we're scaling, it's almost inconceivable that we would do it without Relay Human Cloud. So can you just talk a little bit more to how the shifts work at Fort and the productivity and some of the other benefits that we've learned about working with a, a global workforce. It's actually been pretty transformational from how we think about how we're going to not only get stuff done today, but how we're going to get stuff done in the future as we grow. And so when you start going down that path of thinking about you're going to start working with people on the other side of the world, right? There's a lot of questions that come up. How are we going to do it? How are we going to train them? How are we going to, going to uh, manage them? who's managing them, all those things come up. What we found with Relay Human Cloud was that all those thoughts had already been taken care of and that we could focus on what type of talent is there that can join our team, does it fit our need? And once we saw that, that all that thought and energy had already been put into the operational part of managing and running a team and the thing that we focus on here locally, then it was just a matter of finding the talent. And what I think that Relo Human Cloud has done really well is find a lot of great talent. And, you know, uh, these are people that are highly educated, that uh, can provide a ton of value to a company like ours that otherwise we can't find here. And obviously it's at a, a high uh, or a extreme cost savings compared to what we could find here. So what we started looking for was how could we supplement what we currently do with the team overseas? And it started off for us from an accounting perspective. We, we have a lot of these things that are repetitive, task-driven, that just never end. 
And we know that knew that our team was taking on a lot of work during the day, which w- was limiting our ability to take on new properties. And so we could either, we have a choice. We can hire another accountant or another staff accountant or promote somebody and bring that person on. But we're really just trying to solve at first a repetitive task. So when we reached out to Relay Human Cloud, we discovered that not only could we solve that problem, we could get a very qualified person that could not only do that, help support on a lot of other things. And so very quickly it turned into, we're trying to solve some repetitive tasks to uh, bringing on more and more team members that were actually helping us grow our accounting department without having to bring on a lot of people here. And so that, that just continued to grow. So since then, we've brought on additional assistance, but it started with accounting. The benefit of having a team working globally is that you get the benefit of around the clock and it never ends. And so because we have a uh, team here working on things, obviously the time runs out during the day, but there's things that are going to, they're going to come into work tomorrow and they're going to have to start doing that again. One of those things, is, and a good example is cash reconciliations of every bank account. At Fort Capital, we have 50 bank accounts and there's cash reconciliations that have to happen every day. Well, that was something that locally a team had to come into work and start working on every day. Well, that just means there's other things they can't start working on. What happened uh, immediately with our team at uh, Relay Human Cloud was that overnight they were processing all those. They were doing all that accounting work on the back end so that when our team showed up in the morning, they could start on more important tasks that were happening happening locally directly related to the property. Mm. And that that allowed us to inc- uh, create efficiencies. And so that's just one benefit. You, we can go through a, a, an entire list of things that we have discovered that overnight can be done to help increase the efficiency of the accounting team. That, that extends beyond the accounting team. It also extends to the property management team processing invoices. So... Uh, Fort Capital, we have millions of square feet of industrial space uh, across the country. And with that, you have a lot of invoicing that's happening at all times. You, you could name a million things, whether it's paying bills, contractors, tenants, whatever it is, there's a, a million invoices being, and that can all be processed in India overnight so that when our team comes in, they're not spending their day processing invoices, which yep. allows us to get to more, uh, proactive accounting measures so that we're using our accounting team to actually push the company forward, not uh, keep up with what's coming at us. Got right. It. And so we found a ton of efficiencies um, by using or by having the 24-hour workday. So following that up, it was also important to us because that could have been done anywhere, but we wanted it happening under one roof with people that we knew that we worked with daily that were part of our team. And so as you think about these people that are halfway across the globe, it still doesn't seem like they're, ha- it seems like they're in the next room over. Right. And, and that, that's a good point. And I think the, what, what's important to understand there is that this group of individuals that are working in India are working directly for our team. They are a part of our team. They're in our systems. Um, they communicate with our team every day. They are not just an extension of our team. They are a part of our team. And so it is much, much different than if you go hire a third-party service out there in the world that you're asking to process invoices, who you're having to send uh, critical or uh, important data to that is, or might be sensitive, right, um, information. We actually have all that internal, and this team is a part of that internal team. And so it, it's, a, it's a much different way to look at outsourcing 
than if you're just outsourcing it, even here locally in America. There's a risk there that you're uh, sending your data to somewhere else. This is all happening internally. Whether you're a small business, medium-sized business, large business, and you're looking to expand your team and build a global workforce, go to RelayHumanCloud.com, use the promo code THEFORTPOD, that's THEFORTPOD, and they have been generous enough to offer $500 off for every employee that you hire per year. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Fort Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform or hop on over to YouTube to watch full video episodes if that's what you prefer. For more information, you can check out thefortpod.com.